It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 3rd 2015. We're glad that you're here with us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you as well. Monty Overton's behind the controls tonight. Monty Good to have you here with us. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. Looking forward to your comments. We're going to mine the depths of your knowledge tonight, Monty. It'll be a shallow hole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we want to hear from you as well, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Those are the ways you can get in touch with us anytime, not just during the program live tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And if you're watching us live, there this only works tonight. That's the chat room to the bottom of your video feed. Sign in and chat with other listeners on the program tonight, a program that I'm looking forward to, maybe an ambitious program to try and get it all in when I saw your email earlier today. Well, Jacob, we had uh, we haven't done this in a while, and I think our listeners enjoy these kind of programs. We sometimes call them our listener smorgasbord. Uh, all we do is we try to deal with questions that have been submitted, and, and a lot of them are not full-hour kind of topics, but they're interesting topics, yeah. and so we kind of put some of them together. In the... In the interest of full disclosure, I must say that tonight's uh, some of these questions are from our listeners, but I was also on a website that was dealing with Bible questions, and I saw some of some there that I added in. Okay, so you added some. Yeah, all but right. these are all They're questions all good that have questions. come from people, but not all of them immediately from our listeners. But we want to remind everybody, send in your questions. You know, if you have questions that we can deal with. Even uh, if you know the answer to it, but you think it would make for a good discussion. Oh, that's it. a good point. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, I already know the answer to that. I'm not going to send it. Well, just send it in. Maybe, we, maybe others would like to yeah. discuss it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think some of them tonight might be in that vein. Yeah. So let's, let's, earlier today to our update list, uh, we sent out uh, these questions. Remember, you can get on our update list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, add me to the list. We'll do that. One more update to our Gmail Recipients, If you've got a Gmail address and we mail to your Gmail, remember we've had some trouble with our email now going into your promotions tab. Up across the top, you'll see primary, social, and promotions. Promotions is sort of what Gmail calls spam. And they've been throwing us over into that promotions folder. If you get that, take your mouse, right-click on one of our emails, and drag it over to the primary tab. Mm-hmm. Put it there. A little banner will pop up and say, you know, do you want us to do that for all of such emails? And say yes, and I think your problems are solved. All right. So if you uh, maybe you listen to us in the podcast and you're not on that update list, send an email, questions at collegeview.com, to be added to that list so you can get the uh, topics. And maybe you, you see something that's interesting. You say, I don't want to be a podcast listener this week. I want to be a live listener. Yeah. And do that there. All right. So here's the questions we sent out earlier today to our update list. Number one, what does the Bible teach about body piercing and tattoos? Okay. Number two, what is baptism in Jesus' name? Are there specific words that must be said when a person is being baptized? Number three, is it wrong or a sin to count your yearly contribution to the church on your income tax return for a deduction? (laughs) Imagine that. Yeah, that's a good question. Do we give for the deduction or vice versa? Ooh. Number four, we know homosexuality is a sin, but what if someone responds, or excuse me, what if someone confronts you and says, okay, you believe homosexuality is a sin, so that person is going to hell. Is it okay to say, yes, I believe it is a sin, but I do not judge him. It is God, it is for God to judge. Okay. In other words, how to deal with... Yeah, well, uh, is, the, it, is it right to say that person is going to go to hell, or do you just need to le- let God be the judge? Yeah, okay. okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's interesting. Number five, I know someone who believed that one must go through a fiery trial before they can be saved. This is probably from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Was was this formally taught? Please explain the text. Okay. okay. 
And then number six, what are some of the things to consider when seeking a job or choosing a career? All right. Good questions tonight. We'll look forward to those, and uh, we'll look forward to your comments. Sign in the chat room. Sharon's in there. Arthur's in there. See Randy and Tanya and Rick and, well, Josh is in there as well. So lots of uh, folks. Oh, and I see Arthur was one who was having trouble with the stream last week. He's got it this week, so hopefully things are better. And if you don't want to be anonymous, it's easy to sign in with with a a name or a pseudonym, and uh, you can chat with other listeners there tonight. All right, let's go to this first one. Good questions. Okay, what does the Bible teach about body piercing and tattoos? Um, I don't think the New Testament teaches anything about it. No, but, you know, of of interesting note, the Old Testament did talk about piercing and uh, tattooing. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, God commanded piercing. Uh, we remember this the story of the or the uh, command to the servants or slaves. If they had a slave who who could be free but wanted to stay with his master, yes, what would he do? They'd take him to the doorpost of the house and they'd pierce his ear with an awl, and that was a sign that he was going to be a per- slave forever, permanently in the in the. Service of his master. Yeah, and we talked about this. Uh, I don't know. It's been maybe six months to a year ago. You might look up slavery in our archives. Don't believe this was the kind of uh, slavery that we think of as the early American slavery. This was uh, sort of the indentured servitude. And notice that the servant had the opportunity to stay or leave. We don't need to get off track. But he, if he chose to stay, he would get his ears, ears pierced. Obviously, it wasn't some type of oppressive slavery where he's getting beaten every day yeah. uh, and, and living in a dungeon. Uh, or else no one in their mind was like, yeah, pierce my ear. I want to, I want to stay this way forever. All right. Okay. Now, obviously you've shown then that there was a God-approved kind of body piercing. Yeah, right. So if we didn't go any further than that, you'd have to say you couldn't say that the, that the Bible makes a blanket condemnation of body piercing. But, again, that's the Old Testament. We'll that's okay. the Old Testament. There's another, there's another very pertinent verse to this question in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. Um, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. Uh, the New King James actually says, nor tattoo any marks upon right. you. Right. So there was a prohibition against tattooing in the Old Testament. Yeah. In the context, though, again, if we're going to go back to that, you got to be careful about shaving the edges of your beard or around your head, yeah. and you can't you can't harvest. All of your crops, you got to leave the corners when you go out to your garden and get your green vegetables. That's right. Corn. That, that's all Old Testament, and but you'll hear people bring that up. You know, when this when the subject of tattooing comes up, you'll hear people bring up that verse. But as you've said accurately, Jake, that's Old Testament. Find me something under the New Testament will of Jesus Christ that addresses that in any way, shape, or form, and I don't think you can. You can't. But now I do want to take a principle from the Old Testament here, with regard especially to the piercing. There's a, there's a, there's a, a fundamental fact here, a given, that, that God is uh, using, and that is that piercing communicates a message. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Others could see that person and say he's a slave for life because he's got this ear pierced. It just communicated that message. We communicate messages as well. If we have piercings or tattoos, yeah. what kind of message are we? Portraying? I think that's the. I think that's the answer. No, I don't think I can go to the New Testament and read anywhere where it says, "Thou shalt not have any body piercings. Thou shalt not have any tattoos." There's just no place in the New Testament that yeah. says that. Right. But there's some principles to take into consideration. Right. For instance, in First Timothy two verse nine. It says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, which becometh women professing godliness, with good, but that which per, becometh women professing godliness with good works. In other words, Paul was saying, don't try to draw attention to yourself with your outward adornment. Well, would that, in, that, that would certainly include clothes, jewelry, right. the way you fix your hair. Wouldn't that principle also apply to... Tattoos or uh, body piercings that are intended to attract attention to yourself. Yeah. God says that we, uh, a woman here in particular, but I think it's applicable to men too, that what we should use to to adorn ourselves is not not these outward things, but godliness. That's right. 
And the way we adorn ourselves, whether it be with piercings or tattoos or our clothing or our hairstyle, is reflecting on the kind of person that we are and what is important to us. Yeah, we and, need to make sure everything that we do, I mean, whether it's permanent or not permanent, that we're presenting ourselves as people who are servants of Christ. Yeah, Monty's got a point. Monty. When we think about these piercings and things, I think normally what we're talking about is what to me and maybe in my generation would seem to be outrageous piercings, gobs of piercings, big holes in our earlobes and things like that. But realistically, we accept piercings on, on a lot of people. Most of the women that we know that we think of as godly, righteous women probably have pierced ears, and, and that's okay. We don't think anything about that. But when we see other piercings that we consider to be more gaudy, then we say, oh, that's, that's, that's bad. That's, you know, a lot of people would want to say that was wrong. But we've got to be consistent. Whatever our judgment is about piercings has to be a, consistent across the board. So if the ones that we consider our, our own personal taste being more gaudy and we wouldn't dare consider doing that, if that was wrong, then just the one simple piercing in the ear would be wrong. A piercing is a piercing. Uh, pier- uh, on that level it is. But now if my piercing portrays an ungodly image, yeah. then, then there, there's a problem. So what we're saying is, is there's a cultural component there to is, this. Yeah. There's not a biblical f- prohibition. But there are Bible concepts that suggest we want to present a good example. We want to be a positive influence. I don't want to show myself to be some kind of rebellious individual. Some tattooing and some body piercings clearly are intended to show I'm anti-establishment. I'm a a rebel. And a Christian has no business trying to convey that to the public. Now, a woman who has a pierced earlobe, that's culturally acceptable. She's not making any kind of rebellious statement by doing so, you know. But as Monty said, you know, you see these. I see guys doing this. They have they have their earlobe stretched out, and there's there's you know there's a stone or something in there that's as big as a quarter, and that's making a statement. Now that's making a statement. He's trying to make a statement with that, you know. So, uh, you know, it, he intends to draw unnecessary attention to himself. Yeah, exactly right. Specifically, his earlobe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I, I think but, that's yeah, the right, right answer. Yeah, there's, it's a ju- there's some judgment sure. in this, sure. and there's uh, but uh, it's something we need to be. And we've got to make the judgments with the clothes that we wear, the way we cut our hair, and the. But would you would you would you think it's fair uh, to say that a Christian? Should not be trying to push those limits. No. In other words, I want to. I want to stay back on the conservative side of that question. Yeah. You know, and if 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 a, if a woman having a pierced earring is not a problem, then that's okay. I don't think anybody thinks anything about that. But if you have other piercings, or if you have certain tattooing, they make a statement. And is, is it the statement that a Christian should be making? Be careful in making those. As you said, they're judgments, but be careful in making those judgments. And what and. Yeah, okay, let's leave it at that. Um, but, yeah, let's see what Chris... Chris, he comes to this from the side of someone who has a tattoo. Uh, he says the Old Testament refers to not cutting your flesh for the dead, Leviticus 19. That's the verse I was looking at. Right. Uh, but I do not believe this to be necessarily talking of tattoos we see today, and this was the old law. The New Testament does not specifically mention this. For my study, I see that these practices can be sinful and can also not be, depending on several factors. Is it vulgar? Is it gaudy? Is it harmful to your influence? Is it done to be rebellious? If the answer to these questions are yes, then I would say we should stay away from it. That's everything we were just saying, right? Yeah, thank you. uh, But notice what he goes on. He says, I personally have a tattoo that is not vulgar. He said, well, we might think it is because it's uh, University of Georgia Bulldog. Oh, well, that's terrible. (laughs) I can't believe he did that. What are you trying to say there? (laughs) Um, It's on my leg and easily hidden. The older I get, I just do not really see the purpose in tattoos and piercings. I can think of so many better uses of my money. Yeah. So so he comes to it as someone who has a tattoo, but he understands that there are dangers that you need to be aware of. Thank you for that, Chris. All right. Very good. I think something else we need to consider on the tattoos is where they are. Because quite often we see people... It's got tattoos places that we shouldn't be able to see. If I took and had somebody put a tattoo in a place that God describes as nakedness right. that ought to be covered, I've had to expose my nakedness to get that tattoo. First, you and had to I, first you had to expose yourself to yeah. get the tattoo. Yeah, and that was that would be a sin. Forget the tattoo, whether that's right or wrong. Just the fact that I exposed myself would be wrong. So we've, that has to be considered, too. And you see a lot of people with tattoos, and even though what they're wearing may be modest, you can tell they've got a tattoo that's going way far, further down on their chest or wherever that they had to expose themselves to yeah. get it. So it was wrong to have done that one. I think you're right. Okay. 
All right. right. We, got, we need to go to a break. Lots and of that, things to consider about uh, that. We got, we got the first one in, but we got five more to go. We're going to have to hustle. All right. We'll take your thoughts on the other side. Next up, what about baptism in Jesus' name? A special formula that needs to be said when you're baptized. And I want to hear about this one. Is it wrong to count your yearly contribution to the church as an income tax reduction? Deduction. Deduction. Yeah. I said reduction? Yeah. It's a, well, it does that, too. Uh, we'll take a break and get your thoughts. Don't go where the virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. If you think you accomplish anything positive by complaining or nagging, God's Word says otherwise. Your confession should be as well known as your transgression. Satan will suggest that a contribution will satisfy God when, in fact, he is demanding our all. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program tonight, looking at various questions about the Bible. If you have one, you like to sneak it in, send it in, and maybe we can work it in tonight. If we don't get it tonight, we'll get it another time. Yeah, right. chat room has got a lot of people in it's it, but they're not talking. Silent. Come on, join in, yeah. people. All right. Here's our question that we're up to. Number two from our update earlier today, what is baptism in Jesus' name? And more particularly... Uh, are there specific words that must be said when a person is being baptized? Um, well, all right. Now, this uh, this comes from a statement uh, that Jesus made in Matthew chapter uh, 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore, or go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so, a lot of folks will go to that and say, "Well, Jesus said there's some things you need to say there." Some people would argue that there's a, a specific formula to be said, but let's look at another verse that talks about in Jesus' name. In Colossians 3, verse 17, it says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Yeah. So everything I do, I yeah. must do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Does that mean that I have to say that? I'm brushing my teeth in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. I'm combing my hair in the name of the Lord yeah. Jesus. I'm driving my car in the name of... No, it's not. That, that's not describing a formula of words to be expressed. It is telling me what I'm supposed to do, Every, including brushing my teeth and driving my car. I should do it in a way that honors the Lord Jesus by obeying his will. Right. You know, uh, and someone said, well, how could you not brush your teeth? Well, what if I stole my toothbrush or stole my toothpaste? Then I would not be brushing my teeth in the name of the Lord Jesus. Right. I would be doing it contrary to his will, right. not in accordance with his authority. So the expression in the name of is an expression in the New Testament that denotes authority by his authority. You just read the Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20, where it says that we're to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It means in the name of means by their authority. Right. Of course, the Godhead three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are in perfect unity and union. And so to do it in the name of or by the authority of one is to do it in the name of or by the authority of all three. Right. Uh, so um, 
That's what in the name of means. Now, what about this idea that you, you know, you got to say these words, you got to say them right if the baptism is going to be effective. Yeah, the question was, is there a specific, are there specific words that must be said when a person is being baptized? If that is the case, then it would potentially put my salvation in the hands of someone else. Yeah, think about that. Cause I, I, I know we've described this on the virtual Bible study in the past, but think about that. I'm baptizing you, but I slip up and don't say the right words. It's not your fault, and you may not have even heard my, my slip up, but now your soul is damned for eternity because you didn't get the right words said over you when you were baptized. Uh, that, that just does, that's just not a workable situation. Now, furthermore, if that's the case, then we almost have to, as we've talked about before, we almost have to draw a chain of reference all the way back to the apostles, make sure that everybody that, everybody between me, the guy who baptized me, the guy who baptized him, the guy who baptized, draw an unbroken chain all the way back to the inspired apostles before, if, if that has to happen before my baptism is valid, and we're, we're in a hopeless predicament. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. They're exchanging pleasantries in the chat room tonight, and that's it. And that's not too pleasant for yeah. us. What about, give us your opinion on yeah, baptism in the name of Jesus. Is there a formula of words? You know, the, uh, the United Pentecostal Church, and we talked about them last week in our virtual Bible study when we talked about some misconceptions or mis, false views of God, I think we called it. The, the United Pentecostal Church, the Jesus only people say that the, they, they believe in a, a formula. I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or something of that nature. They say there is a specific formula that must be said. And again, that puts, that puts a person's salvation contingent, not upon just their own deeds, but upon the deeds of the person who baptized them. And that's just an unworkable situation. All right. So I think the scriptures are clear. And that, we do need to understand that phrase because we are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. But we need to understand what that means. And, and, we, and there's, and there's yeah. all kinds of authority in the New Testament for baptism. Yeah. There's command, we're commanded to be baptized. There's examples of people being baptized. There's all kind of New Testament authority for baptism. And so we, we, when we baptize, we are doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're doing it by and his authority. We can authority. take great comfort in the fact that we were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We did what they told us to do, and, and they're pleased with us obe- being obedient. We can take great comfort in that. I'd be willing to argue that, there, that no word has to be said by the person doing the baptizing. Uh, not only does there not have to be a specific formula of words, I would argue that there's no word at all that must be said. Uh, as long as it's understood, as long as the one who's being baptized understands what he's doing and what it's for and why he's doing it, then I would argue there's there's absolutely nothing that must be said. You know, in the New Testament, we read the recorded of thousands of people that was baptized. On the first day of the church's existence, there was 3,000 people baptized that day. And then later on, it talks about it was up to 5,000. And there's several specific cases of people that were baptized and we were, we don't have any recorded anything being spoken. What any formula or like you said, you can't prove that there was a word said when somebody was being baptized, a scriptural New Testament baptism. So to to say that there has to be some kind of formula is to go way beyond what the scripture says. Now I would agree that judgment would would dictate that. Yeah, let's say what we're doing, yeah. and let's say by whose authority we're doing it, and, and let's make sure that the person being baptized and those who may be observing. Understand, that's what this is. This is New Testament baptism for the remission of sins by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say that. I'm off. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't I'm say it. It wouldn't be a wrong thing right. to do it. And it's most likely, like you said, a very good judgment thing to yeah. do. But you can't prove right. that it was done in the New Testament. Exactly right. Uh, David is in the chat room. He says the groups in northeast Tennessee who teach this by and large say it is to be done in the name of Jesus only because Jesus is all three members of the Godhead, which makes no sense in light of many passages in the New yeah. Testament. Yeah, David, David, you're you're exactly right, David. They're they're the oneness Pentecostals. You know, if if you read to them, typically, and I've, I've witnessed this myself. If you if you ask them about Matthew twenty eight. 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Their response to that is, what is the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost? It's Jesus. 
They because they teach the false view that Jesus just manifested himself in different characters at different times. Sometimes he was the Father, sometimes he was the Son, sometimes he was the Spirit. But there is just one divine being, Jesus. There are different modes or manifestations of of that one divine being. We deny that. We we believe there are three divine beings. All right. Are we ready to go on to the next? We're question? ready. All right. This is a, this is an interesting question. Is it wrong to count your yearly yearly contribution to the church? Oh wait a minute. Well, hold 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 hold. Oh, oh, you got, look, oh, look, we didn't get Chris on on the baptism. Okay, hold on. Chris says there's no formula of words. We see Matthew baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and actually see baptism in the name of Jesus. So yeah, that's all he says. Just what we said. Okay. All right. Now, is it wrong to count your yearly contribution to the church on your income tax return for a deduction? Do we give for the deduction or vice versa? Well, I want to deal with the second part of that first. Monetarily, it makes absolutely no sense. To to give in order to get a deduction. Yeah. No, okay. You're giving a little tax advice. Here. Yeah. I don't I know mean, if you. You're, I don't know if you're supposed to do that or not. But it's, it's basic math. Yeah. It's right. basic math. It's basic finances. Monty, if you'll give me a hundred dollars, I'll give you fifteen percent of that uh, back as a deduction. As a yeah, deduction. Even if you're at yeah. the maximum capital gains tax bracket, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty-eight yeah. percent. So just call it call it forty because it's an easier number for me to think about. If I gave $100, that means I get $40 back. I'll swap with you that way all day long. <laughs> and ultimately, anything we use as a tax yeah. deduction yeah. is a negative return yeah. that yeah. way. Yeah. 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 This yeah. is the newsflash. You do not get rich taking deductions. No. And, uh, and just just as a side note, the government is actually making making it less and less uh, of a, a benefit to people who give to charitable causes because what they keep doing is they keep raising the standard deduction. And so, in other words, a guy who hasn't darkened the door of a church building in the last 50 years, never gave a dime of his money to a charitable cause or a church, they've raised his standard deduction so high that here's another guy and he gives generously to the church. And, and this guy who gives nothing is getting effectively the same benefit of the person who gives generously. And so that's just that's just a breakdown in our tax code. But they're doing that on purpose. Obviously. All right. Well, all right. Yeah. Uh, you think they're doing it on purpose? Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they, they want to disadvantage the people who give to churches, I'm sure. Okay. But that's not, that's that's not our either, point. Yeah, that's okay. But, but what about the, the the question is, is it wrong? Or would it even be a sin when I'm filling out my income tax to say, well, you know, I gave this much money to the church, and they'll let me write that off so I don't have to pay taxes on that much money. I, I don't know where I would go in the scriptures to address that other than Jesus Acknowledge the the appropriateness of paying taxes. Right. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, unto God the things that are God's. He and said. Caesar has said that the money you give to the churches is not my money. Yeah. So so we're not giving. We're just not doing what he's. Yeah. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Well, obviously Caesar, representing the Roman government, representing civil government, said certain things are mine. And and the Lord said, give to him the things that he says are his. Yeah. But if he says, that's not mine, I don't want that. I, I, I don't want to tax the money you give to to a church. Then that's not his. He doesn't claim it. And yeah. I don't have to give it to him. That, yeah. I think that's a, a, a scriptural answer to that question. Well, you know, I, the, the government gives, uh, gives deductions and credits for other things that we do that are God-given instructions. For instance, I get a tax credit for putting food on the table for my kids and putting clothes on their back. You get a deduction because you've got kids. Because I got kids. Yeah. So should I not take that? Are you are, well? Here, think about this logically. Are you saying something about your kids when you take that deduction? You're saying, no, I'm, I, "I just got these kids for the monetary benefit yeah. that, that they bring to me." Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think anybody reads it that way. Right. I expect yeah. that would be a lot the same. You're going to spend a whole lot more on them than what tax yeah. benefit you get oh, back yeah. out of it. That's so right. it's right. still a mathematical yeah, but loser. It, but I. But to the motivation, if if you do give because maybe you got this misunderstanding about how a deduction works you're doing because oh i'm going to get some of this back if that's why you're doing it then i would say your your motives are wrong yeah yeah but i don't think i honestly don't think anybody does that yeah. if if you know like i they said do. the standard you think they do i <laughs> uh, says they do but the standard Monty, deduction is so high anymore that it, it, it really it, doesn't show up on your return uh, because of that standard deduction yeah 
Yeah, they've raised that standard deduction and they've and they've and they've made it harder. In other words, basically, when you fill out your taxes, you're either going to do the standard deduction or you're going to come over here and itemize. Yeah. But they've made it so hard for the itemized things to add up to what the standard deduction already is, is that they they basically made it a, a, a wash. Okay. All right. But uh, is it wrong? I would say no. But now here's the other. It, it could be wrong if it, viol- if it violates your conscience. If you can't if you can't get yourself your head right about it, and you think, ah, oh, I just I just this doesn't feel right. Don't do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like in anything, it's you not know, anything you have to do. No, don't do it. If you, if, if, that's right. If you don't feel good about, it, don't do it that way. Uh, Romans fourteen twenty three sets forth that principle: He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. In other words, he, Paul had just said in the previous verses, you know, you, it, eating or not eating of these meats under question was not a problem. But if your conscience says it's a problem to you, don't do it. You know, you, you bag up your clothes and take them to charity. You can. They'll give you a, a form you can deduct that on your taxes if you want to. Should you not do that because you're giving to others? I, mean, I, I don't think do it, if it's a legal if it's a legal thing if the government has authorized the doing of it, there's there can't be anything. I don't, I would just say I don't see that there could possibly be anything sinfully wrong with it unless somehow you have developed a conscience about it and don't violate your conscience is a principle we always have to honor. All right. And uh, that's, uh, let's see, what, oh, we got to Chris. He says, um, no, we are to obey the laws of the land unless they contradict God's law. I can find no passage stating that using the illegal method of claiming a deduction is against God's law. However, we should not give only to get a tax break. That is wrong. So, yeah, we need to give because God said to and because we're generous, not because we're being miserly and saying, I'm trying to get my tax burden lowered by, so I'm going to give. Yeah. Well, that would be the wrong motivation. Yeah, exactly right. All right. We're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point. When we get back from the other side, we're going to have half of a program for the chat room to redeem their self. Yeah, and, you guys uh, are letting us down tonight. And the emailers and the phone callers as well to get in on the discussion. When we get back, can you say someone's going to hell for a sin such as homosexuality or murder or lying? Can we say that that person's going to hell? And, uh, well, what about a fiery trial? Do we have to go through one of those to be saved? And then the last question for the night, what are some things to consider when seeking a job or choosing a career? We'll get those questions, uh, Lord willing, on the other side of the break, and hopefully we'll hear from you. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Remember Edgar Wisenant? Probably not, but he was the retired NASA engineer who became famous, or infamous, by making predictions about the second coming of Christ. His first guess was September 12, 1988. He became an instant celebrity when he wrote a book explaining his reasons why the event would absolutely, positively, no doubt about it, occur on that particular date. He was featured in magazines and newspapers throughout the world. His book sold hundreds of thousands of copies. But, as you obviously know, September 12, 1988, came and went, just like any other day. Wisnett went back to his drawing board. What could have gone wrong? Finally, he announced that he had discovered his error. He had made the simple mistake of forgetting to allow an extra year between 1 B.C. and 1 A.D., and so he began to assure everyone that the second coming was certain to be on September 1, 1989. But, of course, this second prediction also failed. Never fear, though. Wisnett made more calculations. News reports quoted him as saying he was, quote, 96% certain that the second coming would occur sometime in 1989. And if not in 1989, then definitely in 1990 or at least in 1991 or 92 or 93. He said with utmost confidence, quote, no way it's going past 1993. Men like Wisnett are nothing new. End-time date setters go all the way back to the first century. You can read about that sort of thing in 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning verse 1. We wonder if folks will ever wise up and take Jesus at his word when he said, quote, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Matthew 24, verse 36. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the virtual Bible study and watch it. 
And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. And you know the website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. But have you checked it out lately? Check it out. Find out more about us there. And if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to come and worship with us at the, at the College of Church of Christ, our meeting place. Location and times are on our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and you can find information about podcasting this program, find archives of past programs. We heard recently from a listener who's going through every program. That's, yeah, that's over that, 500 hours worth of programs. That's a lot of listening. That's a lot of listening, and uh, that listener is going through them all. And so, uh, wow, uh, check it out there, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Um, okay. We're talking right. about various questions on the program tonight, and uh, we want to hear from you. Five hundred hours. Five hundred hours. How many? What is that? Uh, how many? Day, how many days is that? Uh, this thing's not working here. Several, <laughs> several days. That's twenty-one days. You have to listen twenty-four 20 hours a day straight. for twenty-one hours. 21. twenty-one days for twenty-four hours a day to hear all the yeah, program. Yeah, I think that'd be enough to finish you off. So don't <laughs> recommend that. Um, yeah, if you just listen eight hours a day, that's uh, that's two months worth of. Eight hours a day, seven days a week, two months yeah. to get through it. So it's a monumental task if you're just getting started. We've been on there for a while. All right. We're in our 11th year. We have concluded yeah. 10 years, and we're into our 11th year of the virtual Bible study. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the question number four we sent out earlier today, this one was submitted by one of our listeners. We know homosexuality is a sin, but what if someone confronts you and says, okay, you believe homosexuality is a sin, so I guess that person is going to hell. Is it okay to say, I believe it's a sin, but I do not judge him. It is for God to judge. Is that okay to answer that way? Well, let me first make just a general observation, and that is certainly God is the judge. Yes. It's, ne- it's never wrong to say God is the judge. Yeah. But we know some of what God's, we know what his standard of judgment is, absolutely. In John 14, verse 28, uh, Jesus if I can get my Bible open to there, uh, Jesus said, "Well, that's not what I. That's not what. Is that what I wanted? No, that's not what I wanted. What, what was that verse I wanted? I had trouble finding that. Reached twelve. What are you looking for? Uh, twelve forty-eight. John twelve forty-eight. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Yeah. So we know the standard of judgment. Um, what if? What if you went out and uh, stole a car, Jacob? Uh, if if I said you've broken Tennessee law, you're going to go to jail. Right? Would that would would I be making an independent judgment, or would I just be referencing the established law? Grand theft auto is a felony, and you'll go to jail for that. Yeah. So. You know, again, I, I'm not a judge. I'm, I'm I don't wear a black robe and sit on uh, sit behind a bench, but. I could say definitively, you will go to jail for that. That's a felony in the state of Tennessee. Yeah, it's uh, it's simple. You you've got the standard. You know how the standard is going to be applied. You can make the deduction. Uh, in Revelation chapter twenty one, John writes, "But the cowardly, unbelieving, and uh, and un, uh, un- abominable murderers, so- sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death." Now, can I say that a liar is going to go to hell? We read there in John Of course, in all of these things that we're saying, an, a person who's committed those sins and does not repent. Yeah, the angel said uh, that, that uh, uh, actually Jesus here, right, uh, says that, uh, that that those people are going to go to, go to hell. Uh, and that's not us passing judgment on them. But the judge has already said what the conclusion for these people are going to be. So for us to repeat it is not out of order. We're not judging them. We're not judging them. I'm, I'm not anybody's judge as far as their, their soul salvation. In other words, I can't, in the final judgment, I won't say, well, I broke the law of Monty. Monty said I couldn't do that, and I did it. I guess I'm going to go to hell because Monty's, Monty's the, the, the authority, and he's, he's the judge. No. No, that's not the case. But God, the, yeah, the, the judge, says... Right. This certain circumstance, they used homosexuality in this example. 
like you said, stealing or lying or anything that's a sin we don't repent of, yep. it gets us that same consequence. Yeah. And to tell somebody that is just trying to enlighten them and hopefully get them to wake up. I think that, that's a good point. Soul. I think that's a good point. In other words, we need to be that blunt about what yep. this sin will do. Yep. Look in First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, beginning. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind. By the way, those last two expressions in the King James are more plainly translated uh, homosexual offenders, and uh, I forget how that goes in other versions, but it's talking about homosexuality there. So, uh, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, you know this. You know that a homosexual among those sins is the sin of homosexuality. He says, you know they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he, but he, then he goes on and says, and such were some of you, but ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, ye, ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, these people had been committing those sins, but they had repented. And that's the point, of course. If they repent, that's the, the the punishment won't be administered. If they seek God's forgiveness by His terms, they they can go to heaven. But if they remain in those sins, Paul says they're not going to inherit the kingdom right. of God. And I must spoke in Revelation twenty one. That's the Father speaking there. Okay. Uh, but uh, here, here's here, here's an example of someone I believe doing that. You know, is it right to say someone's going to hell? Remember over in Acts chapter eight, Simon the sorcerer tries to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money. But notice what Peter said to him, thy money perish with thee. Yeah. What's perishing here? Simon's perishing. In other words, going yeah. to hell. Is, but uh, Peter's is, not is the judge. He says, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money, thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Wait a minute. Are you judging, Peter? How do you, He said his heart wasn't right. He says, repent therefore of this thy weakness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. Notice verse 23. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter didn't say, now, I'm not the judge, but you shouldn't have tried to do that. Don't do that, but I'm not the judge. I'm, I'm, I'm not the judge. No, I think we should. Yeah. Uh, the chat room has woken up a little bit here. Uh, guest 18, or 87.15 says in Acts 20.27, 20, Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. In other words, we should not shy away from that. That's, yeah. that's in the word of God. Rick says, God's word is to, the standard, to be the standard of judgment, John 12.48. The New Testament is his word. The New Testament clearly condemns homosexuality. God has already given us his judgment on this. What else could a Christian say? Anything else would not be what God has said. Yeah. In other words, we would be declining to say what God said. I think that's, I think that's true. Yeah. And um, uh, Arthur in the chat room references Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that so each one may receive the things done in the body according to, that, to what he has done, whether good or bad. And certainly God will be the judge, but we can we can state uh, what we believe uh, God's word says about a certain sin, and that those who do such will be lost eternally. It seems, in some respects, the way that question is worded, that last phrase, "I believe it's a sin, but I do not judge him." It's for God's to judge. It's almost like they're being afraid to stand up and say, "This is what God said on the matter," and that's the end of it. It's kind of like they're hedging back. You know, I don't want to be offensive. Or, yeah. You know, yeah. Being politically sort of correct a, about it, you might say. Sort of a way to squirrel out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 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 Take the easy way out. Yeah. But we got to be I, – I think this is part of standing firm. Uh, yeah. uh, take the heat. You know, that's not a popular position to express these days, but it's the truth of the gospel. We'll live with it. And But you're going to do it in a loving way. Sure. You're not sure, going to do sure, it in sure. a hateful way. You're not going to do the Westboro Baptist thing on them. You're gonna you're gonna do it in a way that uh, that is loving. Not but that, you don't want them. To, that's right. You don't want them to go to hell. You want to encourage them to correct their life. Now maybe that is by being blunt and saying, "Listen, you do this and you will burn in hell." But you're gonna do it in a way that the ultimate goal is their salvation. They should never doubt that we're doing that, not out of vengeance, but out of love and concern for their right. soul. Right. Uh, Josh uh, in the chat room says, "I believe the main thing to emphasize is that God's judgment is." That homosexuality is a sin, and heavily emphasized. I'm not making my own judgment at all. It's not my judgment. You know, if it was up to me. Maybe I'd say okay. I can't imagine that, but maybe I would. Maybe I'd say homosexuality is okay. Go right. for it. Right. You know, if it was left up to me, but it's not up to me. Right. You know. So, and I guess 87. Well, this is Sharon, I believe. Uh, references Romans 12, verse 1. Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Thank you for that, Sharon. We do have to make sure that we are always held accountable to God. All right, right, let's take a quick break. We come back. We've got two questions left. We're going to have to hustle. What about a fiery trial? And what about some principles to to consider when taking a job? All right, we're going to take a break and get these thoughts going to the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The National Survey on Drug Use and Health defines a, quote, major depressive episode as a period of two weeks or longer during which there is either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure and at least four other symptoms that reflect a change in functioning, such as problems with sleep, eating, energy, concentration, and self-image. In 2013, an estimated 15.7 million adults aged 18 or older in the United States had at least one major depressive episode in the past year. This represented 6.7% of all U.S. adults. That information is via the National Institute of Mental Health. The Word of God says in Philippians 4, beginning verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program, and, uh, well... Our uh, listener that we were complimenting on going back and listening to all the programs. She's, she's in the chat She has stepped forward and identified herself, uh, a stay-at-home hey. wife, no television. I play the VBS on my long days at home alone, not including re-listening to current VBSs in the early mornings. Wow. Amazing. I'm impressed. Thank, thank you for Thanks that. for doing yeah, that. Yeah. We're encouraged by you. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, Josh says, uh, when Paul withstood Peter to his face, he passed judgment there as well. But it was clearly righteous judgment. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, okay. So so, so stand up. Take a stand. Yeah, okay. Let's yeah, go quickly. Good. We're going to have to hustle now. What about this next question? This was question five to our update list. I know someone who believed that one must go through a fiery trial before they can be saved. This is probably from First Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Did this used to be taught? In other words, was this a, this, was this a principle that was being espoused? Explain the text. First Peter chapter 12, or, excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 12. Mm-hmm. Love, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of our God resteth upon you, and on their part he, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evil as an evil doer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit that the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator. Well, in regards to the question, 
you have to go through a fiery trial before you can be saved? I believe we're saved by the blood of Christ when we're obedient to the gospel. So really a person is saved. Now they may experience a fiery trial as a disciple of the Lord. In fact, it it is to be expected. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So there is a trial. Uh, we live in a pretty soft day and age. We're, we're not put upon very much for our faith in Christ. But there's still some of that, obviously, but not nearly like what they experienced in the first century, not nearly like what people are experiencing in other places of the world even today. Yeah. But we have to be willing to pay the price, count the cost, bear the burden, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. So uh, everyone's going to take have have a burden to bear, going to make sacrifices, have to go through difficult times, suffer persecution. Everyone's going to have to do that. And so, as we read that, if we read First Peter chapter 4 with that understanding, then, yeah, this is the trial that we've got to go through. Yeah, so there, if we wanted to equate the fiery trial with simply the idea of bearing our cross daily, yeah, you've got to do that. If you're yeah. going to be a faithful servant of the if Lord Jesus, saved. if you're going to be saved, you've got to do that. Now, does that mean that I have to be scourged like Jesus was? Does that mean that I have to be stoned like Peter was? I mean, uh, Paul was? Uh, you know, do, do I have to go through intense physical torture and persecution before I can be, go to heaven? No, not necessarily. It may come to that. You know, we don't think it would, but if it did, I should be willing to endure that because ultimately the prize of heaven is worth whatever price it takes. Yes. And it reminds me of James chapter 1, verse 2, beginning, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So this trial process that we're reading about is part of our growing and maturing spiritually. As we deal with these things, as God has instructed us to deal with them, then we are more like God would have us to be as a result. Yeah. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said to you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep your saying. Now, um so don't don't be misguided into thinking that everything's going to be rosy and everybody's going to like you. Yeah. It, and if you're like if you're like your master, if you're following Christ like you profess to be, then you'll get the same. I, I guess the, in summary to that question, I would say, well, if you mean, do I have to bear my burden? Do I have to take up my cross daily and follow Jesus in order to be saved? The answer would be yes. I yes. So. All right. Um, and Chris says, uh, I have not heard this teaching before. Peter is warning them that they will experience trials and that it is better to suffer because you're a Christian rather than suffering because you, because of a sin you have committed. Uh, that, you know, in other words, I had to go to jail. Yeah. It was because I stole a car. Or I had to go to jail because they're throwing Christians in jail, which would be better. Well, suffering as a Christian, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, real quickly, we got to go to this last question, see if we can throw out some ideas uh, to a questioner who said, how can I choose a good job or career? Well, I guess the first thing that we would want to commend is that the person is interested in working. We've got way too many people oh, in our day and time that, that don't even want to work. Yeah, you, know? you should get a job. Yeah, you should get a job. God built us to work, and, uh, and those who are slothful, are condemned over and over in the New Testament. Old and New Testament, yeah, exactly right. Right. Ephesians 4, verse 28, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing that is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. And so working. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says that he who... uh, does not uh, provide for his, his own, own is worse than an infidel. Yeah, so, yeah he's denied uh, the faith. If you, yeah. don't, if you don't work, if you're not busy... You've denied the faith. You're not doing what God will have you do. Now, that's not just for men. That's for women. Uh, women need to be uh, industrious as well. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily in the outside in, the home. Outside the home. Inside the home. Need to be busy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Good. Good that they want to work. All right. So here's uh, so so here's here's some things though to take into consideration. There are some jobs that wouldn't be right for a Christian to hold. Go ahead. Chris's Go ahead. comments. He he has some some standards here. Is it a moral job? For example, is it a job that requires serving alcohol or working in a nightclub? 
Will this job cause you to have to forsake the assembly on Sunday? Will this job cause you to neglect your family or your health? Uh, and so you got to think about the implications of this job you're going to take. I think so. I was I had categorized sinful jobs. There's some jobs. Uh, for instance, uh, we know that the the practice of abortion is is a horrible right. horrible sin. Right. I I'm thinking about taking a job, and the job my job will be delivering supplies to abortion clinics. Yeah. No, I'm not taking that job. Yeah. I'd be aiding and abetting the murder of innocent unborn children, right? Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, uh, I knew a woman in the church years ago. She was the bookkeeper for a beer distributor. Now, she didn't drink beer. She didn't think it was right to drink beer. And I, I, I asked her one time, she, she, but she just blew me off, basically. But she said, you know, she didn't have any problem working for him as long as she didn't participate in it. Well, I mean, the company can't exist without a bookkeeper. And I'm, so I'm providing a, a vital role to a company providing a service that I think is wrong. Where, where's the logic in that? You know, that just doesn't even make sense. Yeah. So there's there's some sinful jobs. Uh, being a, in a, the distribution of tobacco or... Um, I'm gonna, I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna take a job, and my job will be to distribute pornography. Right. No, come on. Yeah. You know, uh, now. Or so, I'm gonna be involved in some type of shady business that's gonna take advantage of the elderly. Or, yeah, or, yeah. 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 No, can't do it. Evil influences. Yeah. Another, another thing to consider is this job gonna put, and Chris talked about some of this in his answer. Is it gonna require me to associate Constantly with people who are going to be a bad influence on me. Right, right. Uh, you know, evil evil companions corrupt good morals. First Corinthians fifteen verse thirty three. So if I, if is this going to put me in a bad situation where it's going to really wear me down spiritually? If so, it'd be better to take a job with less pay. Yeah. If it meant being in a better environment where yeah. I can continue to serve God faithfully. Yeah. Is it going to interfere? Is it going to interfere with my worship? Chris mentioned this. You know. I want to be able to worship when the saints meet on the Lord's Day. I really like to do it uh, every time they meet, midweek and so forth. Is is this going to keep me from being able to do that? And is it going to keep me from being able to fulfill other uh, spiritual necessities in my life? Is it, going, is it going to keep me so busy that I don't have time for study and prayer? Right. I can't associate with brethren and draw strength from them because I just don't have time to, to be around them. Yeah. All those kind of things. Is it going to interfere with my spiritual pursuit and then uh i was thinking about jobs where it may just sort of the the, the culture or atmosphere at this place is such that as you were saying they, they take advantage of, of the elderly uh there's a lot of lying and deceit right. involved in this business you know maybe maybe i go i'm going to go to work for a car dealer but I know that he's not honest. You know, he he's he's oppressive in his selling tactics he's and the interest. sawdust in the transmission. Hey, or or I, I knew of a guy, and this guy was a member of the church, and he ran a used car lot, and he bragged about the fact that he had repossessed a car five times and sold it six. He was charging exorbitant prices for lousy used cars. He was charging ultra-high interest rates. He was taking a big down payment from the people when they got, as big as he could get out of them, knowing they would miss the first or second payment. He'd go out and repossess the car, bring it in and sell it. He's bragging about that. That's oppressing the poor. The Bible soundly condemns that. Yeah, the Bible soundly condemns that. So all of those kind of things would have put me in that kind of a situation. Uh, I think all those things uh, have to be taken into consideration. And Chris has some interesting thoughts. He says from a positive side of things, some things to consider. Will I enjoy this job? You know, that's something you got to consider. Are you, is it the kind of job where you're going to be able to, you know, provide the service that you're signing up to provide, that you're mm-hmm. going to be able to be the worker that got, I mean, if it's just something you just can't stand, you're miserable, and you're not going to be able to do a good job, then don't take that job. Exactly. Uh, and will it provide the income I need? That's, you know, this this is about providing, providing for, for your, your own. own. Exactly. And if it's not providing for your own, then maybe you need a different job. Yeah. I really like doing watercolors. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I really, really enjoy. Yeah. But I haven't been able to sell any of my watercolor yeah, paint. paying me 50 cents an hour. I just can't make ends <laughs> yeah. meet. Well, maybe you need to get maybe another job. I need job. to get a different job. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So okay. I think those are some principles. Uh, that's a that's a big subject. We probably could spend more time on it, but there's a lot of things there to consider. Uh, Josh says, I see this issue much like Abraham told Isaac, the Lord will provide. As long as we put God first in our lives, he'll provide for our needs. We can't sit around waiting for God to send us send a job our way, or we'll still have to actively, we still have to actively search. We can't be waiting for everything to come to us. Yeah, and that's sort of the principle that, you know, we've heard people espouse. I think it's a worthy principle. Pray like everything depends upon God. Work like everything depends upon you. And Good things will happen. Yeah, God expects us to be busy. Yeah. All right. Monty, any thoughts uh, tonight? Well, I think we've had some good things to talk about, and I think especially we need to consider our career choices and, and, and to make sure that that's we're not choosing something that's going to interfere with, with serving God because really nothing else matters. I can live in a tent out beside the ditch and be okay as long as I'm serving God faithfully because I'm – Jesus has taught us that in the New Testament that when we make these sacrifices, he's going to reward us in heaven. He's going to make it up to us. Yeah. So we that's what really matters, and we need to make sure that we're focusing on God. We've got to have the long-range view, not yeah. the short-range view. I think you're right. Right. Okay. Good comments tonight. Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.